Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Let the Good Times Roll edition, as I sit down for a one-on-one visit with Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor. What got him through those tough first two years? What was his favorite moment from last year's Super Bowl run? And why is he such a big fan of the late, great Pistol Pete Maravich? We'll cover that and much more. Plus, shorter interviews with two of the Bengals' most important players, cornerback Chidabe Awuje and new right tackle Lael Collins. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free to play next level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the Balmuda Lantern. I recently purchased a battery-operated lantern for our outdoor deck, and while it was a little on the pricey side, I love it. It looks great, it's rechargeable, and you can adjust the brightness from a low setting where it's almost like candlelight to a higher setting where it's bright enough for reading in the dark or taking on a stroll through the woods. If you want to check it out, just do a search for Balmuda Lantern. That's B-A-L-M-U-D-A. Now, let's get to football. The Bengals held their first four voluntary offseason practices this week, and after the final one, I had the opportunity to catch up with head coach Zach Taylor about the aftermath of the Bengals' Super Bowl run and the long, difficult road that led up to it. Zach, you joked recently that whenever the Matthew Stafford AT&T commercial comes on, You yell at your boys to change the channel. In all seriousness, are Super Bowl reminders painful? Sure. You know, that was a a game we wanted. You know, we wanted to be champions for the rest of our lives, and um, it was an opportunity we weren't able to capitalize on. So, yeah, there's some little things that that fuel you a little bit more. Maybe it's a commercial. Maybe it's just (laughs) a highlight of the game. But um, that's all part of just being competitive in sports. Joe Burrow said earlier this week, that he watched the game the next day just like he normally would. Watched it back, studied the tape. What did I do well? What could I do better? What about you? It wasn't the next day for me. Um, probably about a week later, I would imagine. You know, and, and I've watched several times since then. Um, just trying to learn from it, you know, and, and things that came up. We played a good football team. They made great plays as well. Uh, but it's important to to learn from the game. So so the next time you're in that type of game, that those types of situations, or maybe the Super Bowl itself, you, you make sure that you've learned from it and are able to help yourself in the future. How soon after the game did you talk to Sean McVay? Probably a week after, yeah. I think he was in Cancun, and I was, I was on my couch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we, we've talked several times since then. You are one of only 59 head coaches in history to take a team to the Super Bowl. 18 are in the Hall of Fame. That does not include active coaches like Bill Belichick and Andy Reid that will eventually be in the Hall of Fame. You're not one to toot your own horn. But what does it mean to you to be part of that fraternity? Well, I want to be part of the fraternity that's won a Super Bowl. You know, And so it's, there was a lot of great achievements that we had this last year, but ultimately you want to win the ultimate prize. And so um, I'd love to revisit that conversation with, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a team sport. It's all about our team. Um, but, but you certainly want your organization to be in those Super Bowl winning conversations. When the team wasn't winning in the first two years, 
What were the tangible signs that told you that you were on the right track? Guys buying in, the, the way that guys approached the walkthroughs, their attitude during meetings in December when we were out of the playoff race, and just the little things like that when you're around this um, profession every day for, for the last 15 years. Those are things you pick up on teams that handle things the right way and teams that don't. And and just like any, any career where you get to work every single day and you can kind of see the traits of good organizations and, and poor ones, those are some qualities we saw from our team that were going to help us in the long run. Um, and, again, it's not always as immediate as you want. But, but again, great things take time, and, and we feel like we built it the right way with the right people. Was there anybody that you leaned on for advice or support? Plenty of people on staff. You know, Darren Simmons has been here for a really long time. Um, his insights always, always really valued. Mark Duffner, uh, you know, he just his experience as a head coach and at multiple different places. He's been in the NFL a long time. He, he's always been a great resource. My dad, my father-in-law, Mike Sherman, uh, my dad, Sherwood Taylor. Um, th- those are certainly guys that I've, I've leaned on. At one of the news conferences just before the Super Bowl, you said, if I was a head coach in any other organization, I probably wouldn't have been here mm-hmm. in year three. Did Mike Brown ever give you, quote-unquote, a vote of confidence in the first couple of years or say anything in particular that really was meaningful? I think what's great about here is that it's constant communication. It's not monthly. It's not once a month where you would need that. Um, when, when you have a daily relationship, and it's not every day. It's, it's every couple of days sometimes. Sometimes some weeks it's every week. But um, where the communication is very clear, where – it, it doesn't that doesn't necessarily have to take place in that that um, one conversation I think that everyone's wanting to hear about you know it's just it's when, when you've you're always on the same page and you have such an open line of communication I think that's what allows us to work best have you learned a lot about Paul Brown since you've been here I have yeah I've, I've uh, tried to read up and study on it as much as possible ask Mike as many questions as I can um, just really intrigued by someone who's really just put such a probably more of a stamp on the game of football than than anybody who's ever been involved in the sport. Why is the city of Cincinnati and the Bengals organization such a great fit for you and your family? I think it's just a blue-collar city. Um, The people are so great. They treat each other the right way. It's like one big neighborhood is what it really feels like. You know, you don't... um, So many people you run into are from here, so there's such great pride with being from here and representing the city the right way. A lot of people I meet that grew up here, they usually left for two or three years to go to Chicago or, or Columbus or somewhere else, and then they come back. And I think that speaks for the city, that people love to come back here. Um, it, it's, it reminds me very much of home. I think I've said this multiple times. Um, and But what would you mean by that is just uh, the, the feel of the city and the community. There's such a great community feel here uh, that, that I love being part of. My wife loves being part of. Our kids love being part of. And and uh, you just feel such a part of it here working for the Bengals living in Cincinnati. Before you took the Cincinnati job, you interviewed for three head coaching jobs on back-to-back-to-back days, Broncos, Bengals, Cardinals, in that order. Mm-hmm. What if John Elway had offered you the Broncos job after the first interview? <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that would have made things interesting, sure, <laughs> but this was the one that I always had circled that I was hoping it would work out. You just you have no idea what the club thinks um, or how it's going to work out with other places. But I just felt a connection from living here in 2016, not really having any association with the Bengals or the Brown family. Uh, but I just knew this was a place that I could see my family enjoying life um, and, and 
you know, being a part of an organization that I've always had a ton of respect for from afar. And so I'm just glad that it worked out the way that it did. When you were a 36-year-old first-time head coach, was it tough to call a vet into the office to discipline or reprimand him? It's not. That's usually not how it unfolds. You know, there's usually a process that unfolds before that where there's clear standards, clear rules that are set um, to where there's not a lot of gray. It's more black and white, and that makes some conversations easier than others. That's not to say that you're not going to have some difficult conversations um, you just try to build up a respect level with everybody on the team so that when those moments do come, there's a relationship there to pull from. And it's not just two people who have never spoken before, um, which, which can happen when you have a big roster and maybe you're more of a, um, you pull, call the plays on offense and, and maybe you haven't built up that connection with the defensive guys. So there, there's certainly always been hard, difficult conversations. They're not all fun, um, but, but you always walk away feeling like you, you handled it as best you could. What was it like the first time you had to cut a guy? It, that part's not fun. You've had those conversations as a position coach before, you know, where maybe you weren't the one directly cutting them, but um, you're you're getting them immediately after a cut. Guys that have worked their whole life for this opportunity, and some of them expect it and they're ready for it. Some of them get blindsided by it. Some of them maybe know it's coming and it still, you know, catches them in an emotional moment. You want to be very respectful of that, the hard work that's gone in, the people that have supported them and where they're at now in that moment. Um but, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, guys have always done a great job of handling it, and, and uh, it's not a fun moment to be in, though. If I had to pick out a favorite moment from last year, it would be the Jermaine Pratt interception to wrap up the Raiders' win at Paul Brown Stadium because it was so cathartic for Bengals fans. Mm-hmm. I was there for the, the Carson Palmer knee injury. I was there for the disastrous 2015 playoff loss to the Steelers. Do you have a favorite moment or moments from last year? Um, I, I think, yeah, a lot of favorite moments. If you're going to pick one over the other, it was probably beating Kansas City the first time to get into the playoffs, to win the division. Um, I had almost phrased it that way, winning the division over getting into the playoffs because um, just from where we'd been day one to three years later win the division with the issues we'd had playing the teams in our division. You know, we got blown out several times the first two years. Um, really saw that we had a big hill to climb there with the respect that we had for those teams. And so to to be able to, to win a lot of those divisional games this year and then beat a really good Kansas City team to win the division um, just felt like, you know, a lot of hard work had paid off. Certainly that wasn't the ultimate prize, but it was a, it was a giant step in the right direction for us. We're sitting in your office on the whiteboard. You still have Remember When? from your first season seven games in when you're at a particularly frustrated time trying to game plan for a game against the Rams. You've added some things to that whiteboard since memories from each of those seasons. Are, are you kind of sentimental that way? Do you like to have those kind of seminal memories? I do. I, I like to remember uh, the challenges we face, the, the good moments we've had. That's probably why I journal and I like to look back at old notes to, to remind myself of things that, that you know, maybe something I wrote in fall camp of 2020 that is really applicable now that I've lost sight of. Um, same thing goes when you're in the middle of the season. You want to remember how you felt at different moments of the season and um, to help you in future years. And so there, there's, you know, you try to pull. It's usually Brian Callahan and I in here game planning the most together in here in this room. And um, so certainly we've, we've shared some good moments each year. We try to pull one when it feels like the right moment and, and put it up on the board. And who knows what we'll put up there next year. When Joe Burrow was drafted, you were asked about his swagger, and you pushed back a little bit and described it more as earned confidence 
Why is that distinction important to you? I think some guys can put on a, an appearance of what they think they're supposed to project and what it's supposed to look like. Um, some can pull it off or, or maybe they fool people. Uh, some it's just their natural personality. For, for Joe, you can just tell it's a guy who's put in the work. He's not trying to be somebody that he thinks others need him to be or want him to be. It's just who he is. And that, that comes across very clearly to everyone who interacts with him, everyone who sees him, um, to where it's not somebody trying to be somebody that they're not. And, and that's appreciated. He's, he's earned the right to, to be who he is. And, and um, you know, it's, uh, sometimes that can be hard to find, you know, and, and we've got a guy who, who carries himself the right way. I can't imagine what his life is like right now and what it's going to be like going forward, just the star that he is becoming. Do you worry about that at all? You're not always envious of that, you know, to be honest with you. Some people probably would be, but but I think being in this profession, you know the challenges that come with that maybe. Um, you know, he's he's obviously very grounded and handles himself the right way. Um, and that's just that's the life that he has, you know. And then there's other guys certainly that have followed the same path that I'm sure he can look to and, and ask questions and get advice there. I'm not that person, you know. It's, uh, but, um, you know, there's there's great things that come from being in that position. There, there's certainly challenges that people will never be able to relate to other than the people that are in that position. I like to joke that I've had one really good idea in my life, <laughs> and that is a chain of toast restaurants. <laughs> So instead of bagel shops, everybody likes toast, right? So every like airport kiosk is going to have a Dan Horde toast restaurant someday. So that's my great idea. Okay. Your idea to give game balls to fans at bars and restaurants after playoff wins was incredible. Did it just come to you out of the blue? You've kind of described driving by bars and restaurants in your neighborhood and thinking about it, but was it like a, you know, a light bulb went off and hey, that would be cool? <sighs> It's hard to pinpoint when exactly a thought like that comes to your head. I think since the day I've gotten this job, and I, I've said this before, but leaving the stadium from work every day and driving through downtown past past um, uh, the uh, the banks and past the Red Stadium, I, I do always picture post-game because I'd driven through there the first year after a lot of losses and seeing people in jerseys and, you know, dejected and, and always pictured driving through there when we're having the Super Bowl parade. And, and seeing what those streets would look like. That's the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, from there, it's, okay, when we win a playoff game, you know, what's something that you can really find a way to celebrate with the city? I drive past MLTs, you know, every day, twice a day, you know, going to work and coming back from work. And um, you always see the people in there having a good time. And, and I just thought, you know, it would be cool to go in there and deliver a game. I don't remember the exact year or moment that that part came at came across i did not plan on it going the way that it did i thought it was going to be a lot more low-key i was picturing like 1980 89 when nobody had cell phones there's just gonna be a moment that you know the people in the bar talked about and i walked in and, and 100 cell phones popped up so um i didn't think that went through all the way but um, i'm glad that everyone got to enjoy it and and it's you know i know that there's a lot of restaurants and bars that want to be a part of this and and this is going on for um you know in my mind, as long as the Bengals are an organization, this this is going to continue to take place when we win playoff games. So there's going to be plenty of opportunities for everyone to share in the experience. I think there are about 15 of those balls out there from the three playoff wins. And anytime I see one in a place, it puts a smile on my face. And I usually engage the bartender or the, the person in charge of the restaurant about it. Have a lot of people lobbied you 
for future games to, to try to be in position to be the next place that gets one? It's hard to, it's hard to get in touch with me because my lack of social media. It's easier to get in touch with my wife. And so she's the one who usually relays the message. Uh, and, yeah, there, there's – there will always be opportunities for for a lot of other places to get you know northern kentucky bars outside of cincinnati there, there's plenty of ways that we can reach a lot of a lot of great Bengals fans and and uh and uh different bars and restaurants of the 55 previous teams that were the runners up in the super bowl 69 percent have made the playoffs only three have won the super bowl the next year have you or will you seek advice from coaches that took their team to the Super Bowl but didn't win it? It's something we, we spend a lot of time researching and studying those types of teams. To say I've had direct conversations with coaches who have then rebounded to go to the Super Bowl because those are the people you'd be reaching out to talk to, right? Not the mm-hmm. people that didn't get it done. And so, um, you know, it's we're the 2022 Cincinnati Bengals, and uh, we have a plan in place to help us in the offseason. We'll have one to help ourselves in training camp and then in the season. And we're going to follow that plan and – um, we know that it's these seasons are long seasons. You're going to face a lot of adversity. We're going to handle it the way that seems best for us. We've got a really motivated group of players that, that know it's a long journey to get back, know what it took to get there in the first place, but are very hungry and willing to do whatever it takes to try to get back. In the current NFL, with the emphasis on the quick passing game and getting the ball out quickly, could you have played? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, no. You know, I, I think – um, I'm happy with the career that I had. Um, I had my opportunity, you know, in, in training camp with the in off season with the Bucks, and um, could see the quarterbacks around me were, were better players than I, better athletes than I, and so um, I'm satisfied being a coach and being able to compete that way. Um, I've taken my talents to the pickleball court. You know, I think that's better suited for me right now. But um, no, there, there's not any any uh, thoughts from me sitting around thinking I could do this. You know, those those are long gone. Do you want your boys to be quarterbacks? I think I think that they want to be quarterbacks, so that works well for me mm-hmm. as well. It's it's the position I like to talk about and teach the most. And um, you know, I, I don't even I do spend time talking about the throwing mechanics with my boys. But for me, the biggest thing is just getting reps, just reps, reps. Throw however you can throw as many times as you can throw, whether it's dropping it in the basketball hoop in the driveway to work on touch, whether it's putting a target in the backyard. Just accumulate reps and. That's where the accuracy comes from. There, there's obviously mechanical things that you can do to work on that. I'll point out occasionally to them. I just want them to throw and catch, and, and they spend a lot of time doing that. And um, I think that's, that's really as good of a teacher as you can have at a young age as anything. Dave Lapham tells a great story about the aftermath of Super, Super Bowl 16, the one he played in. He goes back to the hotel room after the game. His son is about five years old at the time, and he says, Daddy, why did you guys stink so much in the first half? And Lap jokes that it was all he, all he could do not to put the pillow over uh, Dave Jr.'s uh, head. Uh, what were your boys like after the Super Bowl? They, they take it as hard as anybody, certainly. Um, I don't always see the immediate moment. You, you kind of hear more about it uh, from, from friends and family that are around them. Um, but they're into it. You know, it's, it's amazing. They, they have a pretty good football IQ. Um, they see things. They got great recollection. I was in here watching with my son earlier, and he remembers I asked him his top three plays from this game that's mm-hmm. on right now. You know, the Ravens game here at home, and he named the top three right in a row. Um, number one being the T. Higgins Moss, as he called it, you know, on third mm-hmm. and long. So it's it's fun to talk ball with them. Um, my son, my oldest son, was in here during the draft, during the last day of the draft. He was shooting baskets down in the weight room in the seventh round, and 
I, I bet him that he wouldn't make a shot. He said, if I make the shot, do I get to pick the seventh rounder? So they're invested in everything that we do, you know, and I did not let him <laughs> pick the seventh <laughs> rounder, even though he made the shot. But that's kind of their mindset is they want to be involved. They, they love what I do. They love being a part of it. And so you try to include them as best you can. So I do these fun facts interviews during the course of the season, and I typically end with the same question. I'm going to end our conversation with this question as well. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, politician, statesman, entertainer, whoever that person might be, who would it be? Um, I, I think two people for me, just being here, Paul Brown would be fascinating to have dinner with mm-hmm. and just ask him how he came up with all the things he came up with, you know, and it's because it's documented, but to hear him say firsthand, maybe what led to a lot of the, um, you call them inventions, call them, you know, however, whatever you want to phrase it. Um, it's just fascinating to, to learn as much as you can about him and what led to a lot of the decisions that he made. Um, Pete Maravich was always mm. my favorite. I think my dad liked him. My brother's named after his dad, Press Maravich. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Taylor family always had a fascination with the Maravich family. Uh, you know, he's always watched his drill tapes he had that was like uh, uh, Pete Maravich's homework, p- the Pistol Pete's homework basketball, I think is what it was called. That was all the drills I did as a kid. Um, so he was a guy I had his poster up on my wall and um, so if you're, if you're crossing sports there, I think Pete Maravich would be the, the guy I'd like to meet. Now, that's interesting. I did not realize we share a fascination with Pete Maravich. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I wanted kids to, to call me Pistol when, <laughs> yeah. when I was playing youth basketball. But uh, it, it only it, it ended with me asking them to do it. They certainly weren't, in, weren't inspired to do it based on my play. I always wanted to dribble basketball in a movie theater, you know, because he's, there's a scene from, from the movie The Pistol where he dribbles it in the theater. There's one where he spins it on his hand for an hour, and then he throws it off his head and knocks it in the basket. So I tried that, you know, for hours and hours as a kid. But, um, you know, I, basketball was kind of my first love as a kid, and so I was obsessed with Pistol Pete because he was a guy who maybe didn't have the, the physical attributes of a lot of great players. He worked more on the technical aspect and that was really the only way I could survive as a kid. And so um, I think I was, I was drawn closely to that. This has been great. I really appreciate your time. Congratulations on a remarkable season and uh, we all can't wait to get started on the next one. I know it's, it's uh, we're enjoying the off season right now. We got a lot of work to do and we're excited for next year as well. While Zach's brother got his first name from former LSU basketball coach Press Maravich, Pistol Pete's dad, Zach is named for one of his father's former teammates at Oklahoma, Zach Henderson, one of the best safeties in Sooners history, who also spelled his first name Z-A-C. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This past season, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the year with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. One of the best off-season moves in the NFL last year was Cincinnati signing Chitabe Awuje to a three-year, $21.75 million deal. Pro Football Focus graded him as the NFL's second-best cornerback last year behind the Rams' Jalen Ramsey. This week, we discussed his breakout season and the status of his friend and teammate, Jesse Bates. Cheeto, how long did it take you to put the Super Bowl behind you? Mm, that's an interesting question. I don't think it'll... Mm, as long as I'm in this league, I probably won't put it behind me. 
because it's now become a part of my motivation, you know, to reach that stage again and to complete the full mission. So um, I would say from the whole season, it took me a little bit of time to rejuvenate, probably about two months. You know, I was still training and stuff, but really feeling like I'm ready to go to the uh, for this next season. It took me about two months, but that Super Bowl is, is part of a new motivation now, so probably won't ever go away. <laughs> rejuvenate physically or emotionally? Um... All, everything, you know. Obviously, you know a little nicks and bruises from the previous season. I was doing rehab and stuff like that. Um, mentally, you know, the season's as gruesome as it is physically as it is mentally, and it takes a lot of time to just relax your mind, get it back to doing regular human things, and then getting ready to go to do that gruesome thing again and and, and go to a, a place, some dark places where you know you have to go to in this game to be able to succeed. So. Um, spiritually also, everything's so taxing, emotionally, all that stuff. But that's it, that, that, that's what we signed up for. So, you know, we're professionals for a reason. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited and more juiced even than last year I was. So um, I'm really uh, looking forward to what we have to go or where we're going to go this year. My broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, played in the Bengals' first Super Bowl loss. And he described it like he could look at the ceiling and replay the game in his mind because it was so disappointing to make it that far and, and not come away with a win. Did you have the same experience? Definitely. And people remind you, you know, everywhere you go, people are, oh, what happened here? Or why didn't this happen? Da, 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 da. You know, it's always speculation and stuff. But at the end of the day, football is one of the greatest sports because it's entertaining. You know, it's one of the most entertaining spectacles that we have in the world. And if you put it that way, then that means that in essence, we are entertainers. So it has to be a winner, a loser, an antagonist, a protagonist, all that stuff. And we just happen to be the protagonist but still lose. You know, the main character died. But um, the good thing is that we have new life and we have another chance to go at it. You had a Super Bowl interception. That has to be a tremendous highlight for you. It is. It is. And it kind of, um, you know, obviously gets overshadowed by the loss, which is definitely always the, the goal is to win the game. But um, it was still a blessing to do that. And more for my family and the people that care and love about me. You know, something that they could brag about to their friends or their uh, peers or work buddies and stuff like that. So, um, to me, it's just me just doing my job according to what the coaches tell me to do. So, and I ended up in a great position. So, um, yeah. We're visiting with Chitabaya Wuje. You had such a great year last year for the Bengals. Do you feel like you established yourself as one of the best corners in the NFL? Established is a weird word. I don't, I don't ever want to feel like I'm established, but I would say that um, last year I was in my most – complete mental space like clear clear head clear eye clear uh clear mind i had a real clear focus you know great team great guys and everything just led me to be, have a great year you know have, have, a, have a pretty good year and you know i look when i look back at the tape the number one thing i always want to say is that you know i put out something there that i'm proud of someone were to turn on the tape i'm i, I could own up to everything that, that was on that tape because i was preparing correctly mentally spiritually physically everything that has to go with it and the priority that you got was my very best so um, i plan to do this this year again this year and um my best has gotten better because of training and stuff like that so i'm, I'm really excited do you feel like your peers have recognized that you're one of the best corners in the nfl i think my peers respect me as such i mean they asked me to do a lot last year um you know, me and Eli and Mike and the whole secondary pretty much. Um, last year was the first year First year I was traveling with guys, you know, some of the top guys in the league. You know, that's the thing that numbers don't really explain, you know. They don't explain who you were going against and stuff like that. But um, I think my job that I had to do um, 
compared to the other guys that we call great in this league, you know, it's right up there. So, and that's just a product of, you know, the guys that I play with, the coaching staff, and um, the people that helped me in the offseason. So, um, just really excited to do it again. The Bengals had six draft picks. They used three on defensive backs. I think it, it's a sign of, in the NFL right now, with all the great quarterbacks and all of the great receivers, you need unbelievable depth in the secondary. Did you feel the same way when you saw them make those moves? Oh, most definitely. You know, it was crazy because last year we didn't have a rookie, essentially. We had Antonio Phillips, but then um, he was traded or let go after the camp. And we didn't have a rookie, so, you know, all the rookie duties were falling onto us veterans. Now it's good to have some guys to uh, do the rookie duties and obviously help out where needed. Um, we're going to need everybody. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's the name of the game every year in the NFL. People get hurt, things happen, um, situations happen that, you know, obviously with money-wise and, you know, all types of crazy, crazy things. So um, it, it's an ever-evolving game, and we just got to, you know, adjust properly. I'm sitting in Jesse Bates' seat. I wish it was occupied and that he was here, but we understand the realities of contract negotiations in the NFL. How do you guys in the secondary feel right now about his situation and his absence? Oh, we love Jesse. Jesse's our leader. He's our uh, you know, game changer, our closer. He's everything to us, everything to, to, to our team. Um, we're just waiting. We know that the uh, people upstairs are going to make the right decision and pay him. It just matters when at this point. So, you know, we talk to Jesse every day. Um, we're telling him what's going on in the practice. He's asking us questions, so he's still very involved with us. It's just a matter of when. So we're just waiting patiently for one of our leaders. That's a pretty strong comment on your part. You think it is happening ultimately by July 15th. I hope it does. <laughs> that's up to, that's up to uh, the people upstairs, but obviously they know more than me. I'm just his brother and his teammate. Last thing, and I'll let you go. Did you do anything fun in the off season until now? I know you've got another break coming, but how how about so far? Yeah, you know, I got to link up with a lot of my family I haven't seen in a long time. So I went to Nigeria, um, saw my grandma, who I haven't seen in 10 years. I was fulfilled my heart, you know, just seeing everybody, my cousins, aunties, uncles. And then I also had the chance to go to New York, where my mom's side of the family basically lives. And saw a lot of my cousins I haven't seen in 10 years, 10-plus years, so... You know, this year was really about family, and that's where I got my rejuvenation from. You know, they look at me as, like, the guy who made it from our family, but I'm only as strong as them, you know, and they're so strong that it gives me strength. So um, really appreciate that time that I had with them. How aware was your family in Nigeria about the Super Bowl run and the unbelievable season you had? Yeah, so it's uh, from L.A., it's a nine-hour difference. So they were up watching. <laughs> they didn't know what was going on, but they liked to hear that Ebo name, Chidobe, I was yeah, on TV. So um, it gives them pride, it gives them joy, and it fulfills their spirit too. So when I went back, oh, Star Boy, Star Boy, Star Boy, they were having so much fun with it. So uh, that's, that's ultimately what it's about for me. That's fabulous. Appreciate your time. Great to see you. Welcome back to Cincinnati. Thank you. My final conversation this week is with one of the three offensive linemen signed in free agency, right tackle Lael Collins, better known as LC. He's been reunited in Cincinnati with his former offensive line coach in Dallas, Frank Pollock. Oh, man, I'm just happy to be be back with Coach Frank. I'm happy to be around these guys in his locker room. Uh, you know, I can tell it's all about ball here, and I love that. What is it about Frank that you respect and admire so much? Just the way he teaches the game, the way he teaches the, posi- the position, because he played the position, so he knows um, the things that, that work and the things that, um, you know, that's not realistic. And, you know, he, he coaches us hard on technique, and, and that's something that we're going to use each and every 
every week and each and every day to prepare ourselves for the season. That's a big thing, isn't it, knowing what's realistic for an offensive line coach? Absolutely. There's a lot of things that look good on paper, but when you get in the, when the, when the, when the real game starts to go, you know, all that stuff, you know. And when you get to games, you got to be able to lean on your technique and your training. So that's one thing that Coach Frank has done great um, from, from my time with him. You're beginning to form a relationship with Burrow. Anything stand out yet? Oh man, he's he's all about he's all about ball. Um, he's focused each and every day. He comes in, he gets to work, um, and he's ahead of his time. He's gonna be he's gonna be a great one. ahead of his time in what way? Just the way he sees the game um, and his ability to to, to go out and, and diagnose certain things. And you know when you get, when you're able to see that out of a young player, you know, you, you know that the, the ceiling is high for him. You referred to yourself as the bodyguard when you signed. Are you embracing that? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Owning up to it and and uh, that's what it's going to be about. When an offensive line is building chemistry and continuity, how much is practice and how much is, you know, bonding away from practice? Oh, it's big. You know, you know it's big to be able to, to know the guys that you're lining up against, to know their family members. That goes a long way. Um, you know their kids, you know their wife, or whatever the case may be. And that's always big. And that's, that's when you know you, you got something truly special. You know, we're, we're working on being, you know, the best unit we can be. And that's all we got to do is go out and put the work in each and every day. When Coach was asked about you guys after practice today, the new offensive lineman, he said the thing that stands out is how much you all love it. Love the grind, love ball. Absolutely. Uh, one thing about Coach Frank, um, you're a guy that, that – you know, love ball, and you can run, you belong here. And uh, you're tough, you're physical. That's the type of guys you look for, smart guys as well. So all those things, every guy in that room has it. You know, you just got to continue to pull it out of each other and continue to grind each and every day. And a lot of professions, change is good. You feel refreshed. Oh, Do you feel that way? I feel like, you know, this is a revamp of my career. You know, being able to come here. And, and being, you know, one of the older guys in the room, um, being a vet, being around, and just knowing, you know, what he expects out of the guys. And I mean, for me, it was, it was like I was already raised in that because I had framed my first three years, so I was brought up the right way. And now it's just like getting back to it. So I couldn't be more happier. I couldn't be more excited, man. It's like it's the happiest I've been in a while. To hear you describe it, it seems so obvious that this was the right place for you in your mind. The perfect fit. You know, there's a difference when it's good fits and perfect fits. It was a perfect fit. Collins turns 29 in July and is signed for the next three years. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free-to-play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.